The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, hi, good morning, everyone. If you can, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. His hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refuse to be comforted. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak. You have kept me from closing my eyes. You, I am troubled and cannot speak. I consider days of old, years long past. At night, I remember my music, I meditate in my heart, and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has, his, has he in anger withheld his compassion? So I say, I am grieved that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. God, your way is holy. What God is great like God? Are you the God who, you are the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples. With power, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The water you saw, God, the water saw you, it trembled. Even the depths shook. The clouds poured down water. The storm clouds thundered. Your arrows flashed back and forth. The sound of your thunder was in, a, in the whirlwind, lightning lit up the world. The earth shook and quaked. Your way went through the sea, but your path through the vast and your path through the vast water, but your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, fam. How you guys doing this morning? I'm not sure if this is the start of summer attendance or if this is uh this is just the June gloom uh, deal, but uh, either way, it's every pastor has a moment where he's like, where is everybody? Oh, my dear God. Uh, yeah, but I'm glad you guys are here. You are here for a reason and a purpose, and I'm glad that you are here. Good morning. Welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. Thank you, Shawana. I appreciate you. I love that. We're excited. Uh, we want you to know your story is welcome here. Uh, we value your story. We believe that it contributes to our story, to our identity as a community of apprenticing, uh, people who are apprenticing Jesus. Our goal is to be a healthy church, a healthy church. Now, uh, that's not to say other churches aren't healthy, but we recognize that it's a difficult thing, that being healthy doesn't come naturally. It's something you have to work for. And so being a healthy church uh, is a part of what we're trying to accomplish. What does it mean? It means that we have healthy relationships with Jesus and people. This comes from Jesus' own statement in Luke 10, 27. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And 
your neighbor as yourself. Now, this process of becoming healthy is something that, uh, in, in Christianese words, we say discipleship, or the word we use here is apprenticeship. So our goal is to be a healthy apprentice, apprentice of Jesus. What does that mean? A healthy apprentice of Jesus is increasingly engaged in learning, believing, and living out the gospel and helping others to do the same. They are becoming healthy spiritually, emotionally, socially, and economically. Healthy apprentices proclaim and display the gospel to others in a way that leads to healthy people and healthy communities. So that is what it means to be healthy. That's what we're working for. If you want to know when we're teaching, when we're trying to express uh, who Jesus is through the Bible, pointing back to him in scriptures, all we're trying to accomplish uh, in you, all that we're trying to let Jesus do in us is this, is to become healthy followers, healthy people who are apprenticing Jesus and loving people. So that is what we're about. Before I go further, though, I've got a little family business, and that is that next week we have a very special week. It'll be Story City's very first ordination vote. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's okay. Only you can clap for that. That's cool. Yes. <laughs> uh, Justin Haig has been working for uh, quite a while to work through the ordination process. It is not an easy process, including a several hour uh, ordination council interview with pastors from other churches that grill him on his theology, his ability to pastor, his family life, spiritual life, those things. He has passed that. And so next week as a congregation, we get to vote to affirm or deny the uh, board's recommendation to ordain Justin Hay. So yeah, it's a big deal. Like I said, it's a culmination of a ton of work. And because it's our first, it's a big deal. So please make sure that you're here. Uh, sometime you know, before the service starts. <laughs> Some of you don't know that service starts at worship, <laughs> not in the middle of the sermon, but um, that's okay. <laughs> Please be here physically if you're able to do so. We would love for you to help us celebrate uh, and to, again, we, we appreciate your vote. It'll be really good. We want to really celebrate Justin. It's a, it's a big accomplishment. So um, once he's ordained, he's, he's ordained unless he did something to screw it up, but uh, all churches in Christendom should recognize his ordination, which is one of the reasons we brought in uh, pastors from other denominations as well, just because it's, uh, it's a pretty cool deal. Good? All right, great. Uh, today we are continuing our series in the Psalms of Lament. Some of you are like, hey, I read this psalm earlier. This is depressing. What are you doing? It matches the weather, so it's perfect. That's all right. Lament songs, they're songs, um, or poems, they cry out to God. And so often we don't really address these psalms, and yet they, are, uh, they make up a third of all of the psalms and scriptures. Lament psalms make up a third. And so it's important that we get to talk about the process of lament. Now, last week I highlighted two main reasons that we would uh, enter into the path of lament. And uh, and why the psalmist did that. And so there's two main reasons that the psalmist write their lament songs. And I think understanding these really helps us uh, or guides us in determining when we should enter into our own process of lament. The first is any area that we discover where we don't think, believe, or feel that we are in alignment with God. In other words, we come across scripture or we have a heart attitude and we're angry, we're frustrated. There's just something about us that is not seemingly aligned with who God is or what God is doing. 
And that's the perfect time to go, okay, we need to walk this path of lament because something is off and we need to figure out if it's God or if it's us. Spoiler alert, it's us. (laughs) But the second is maybe not as obvious, and that is when injustice is happening to us or to the people around us. And it's actually really healthy to lament for people around us. Throughout the Old Testament, the number one thing the nation of Israel gets in trouble with from God is, anybody know what it is? Adultery is one of the things they get in trouble for quite a bit, yes? Complaining is one of the things they actually... Yes and no. God encourages them to complain, but he's like, hey, uh, you're complaining, but you're not doing anything about what I'm telling you to do. So part of that is disobedience. But the number one thing that the people of Israel get in trouble for, and the number one thing that God blames the priests of Israel for, is that the nation stops caring for those who cannot care for themselves. The poor, the widow, the fatherless, the immigrant, the broken, the marginalized, over and over, this is what God says. This is how I can tell that you are not obeying me. Because you're acting like the nations around you which don't care about these people either. And I've called you to be different. I've set you apart so that you live out the way you live by caring about these things, these people. So the path of lament then is as important, it's as healthy in following Jesus as when we're trying to figure out whether our hearts need to be aligned or if somebody is harming us or even when we look around and go, there is injustice being carried out We need to do something about it. God, where are you in the midst of this? It's as much for the people around us as it is for us. Now, last week we talked about how the path of lament helps us come to a place of hope and trust in who God is, what he's done, who that makes us, and what we do in light of all that. We looked at Psalm 73 and saw the author Asaph wrestle and then come to a place of resolution. But what do we do when there is no clear resolution? What do we do when our path of lament seems to be chronic struggle? When we can't quite get past what it is that we're going through or the injustice has not been resolved, what do we do then? And that's what we're going to tackle today as we look at Psalm 77. So for those taking notes today, this is our big idea for the day. Lament is a path to praise. Lament is a path to praise. Now I'm going to get into how praise relates to all of this momentarily. But first, we're going to see how turning, complaining, and asking are steps on the path to praise, and that remembering is a step on the path to trust, trust a step towards restoration. For now, let's go back and remind ourselves of today's psalm, Psalm 77, from the choir director, Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refused to be comforted. I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak. You've kept me from closing my eyes. I'm troubled and can't speak. I consider the days of old, the years long past, and at night I remember my music. I meditate in my heart and my spirit ponders Will the Lord reject forever and never again show favor? Has his faithful love ceased forever? Is his promise at an end for all generations? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger withheld his compassion? So, I say, I'm grieved that the right hand of the Most High has changed. 
I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. God, your way is holy. What God is great like God? You are the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples. With power, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and it trembled. Even the depth shook. The clouds poured down water. The storm clouds thundered. Your arrows flashed back and forth. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind, lighting up the world. The earth shook and quaked. Your way went through the sea and your path through the vast water. But your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Once again, Asaph is the author of this song. There was a couple of uh, leaders, senior church leaders. They led the choirs. Asaph is one of the choir leaders. And uh, instead of dealing with a personal issue, lament is coming from Asaph over the way the nation of Israel is suffering, the, the injustice that they are experiencing as a people. And so we're, this is one of the other reasons that we walk that path of lament. This is exactly what we see Asaph doing. So let's jump into his path of lament for his people. For those taking notes today, this is our first observation for the day. Turning is a step in the path to praise. Turning is a step in the path to praise. Now this is also the most important step. Turning is about orienting our hearts to God in prayer. It's about, it's about coming back to God and going, okay, God, I, I don't understand you right now. I don't know what's going on. I don't even know if I agree with you. I don't even know if I like you right now. But I'm going to come back to you and go, all right, let's have this out. It doesn't mean we give up our emotions or that we have uh, resolution or even that we're not accusing God. We're, we're not giving up any of that. It doesn't mean that we're not angry or hurt. It's simply the act of engaging instead of running away. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, today in Western culture, especially in the United States, we seem to be uh, largely unable to have healthy conflict. We can't really have uh, disagreements with people without there being somebody, some sense of like, I can respect the fact that we differ in our opinion and still like you and, and agree with you and everything else, but have this area where it's, it's okay. What we tend to do now is to just walk away. We don't even say anything. We just walk away. We leave relationships. We leave churches. We leave whatever because we can't have a healthy resolution by our conversations. And this is what we have to kind of see is, is a part of what the Bible calls us to is to be countercultural, to go against what's popular in society. And it's not saying that everything in society is wrong. It's saying that there are things that we naturally move towards that the Bible says that's actually not healthy. And one of the things the Bible calls us to into being healthy is just saying we have to address these issues. In fact, the Bible has in Matthew 18 the, exactly how we deal with when people in church have arguments with each other. Like there's a process of resolution. In the same way, Asaph is saying, look, this, this process here is we've got to come back to God. Whether we agree with him or not, we have to have this conversation. And so we engage, we confront God with the truth of what we're thinking, feeling, experiencing or wrestling with. This is exactly what we see in verse 1. Verse 1, I cry aloud to God. I'm crying aloud, and he will hear me. There's a part of it that is both hope and that I know God will hear me, but there's a part of it that's also like he's going to hear me. 
That phrase, translate, translated cry aloud, is a word that means to cry out. But it doesn't mean just once. It means to continually cry out over and over. It's a full desperation. It is, it's struggling under the weight of an incredible difficulty. It means to appeal for action, to summon help, to persevere in applying for an intervention. It, it's, it's, this, is, this is desperation at its core. You can taste it, feel it, smell it. This isn't just like, I hope God's listening. But this is, this is continual pressing in. In verse 2, Asaph says he's coming to God in prayer. And though he knows God can and will answer him, it hasn't happened yet. And so he continues to cry out, and he's desperate for it, but he's recognizing that still nothing has been resolved. Verse 2, I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. My hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refused to be comforted. I don't have an answer, and I'm not taking anything less than God's responding to me. In Psalm 73, Asaph turned to worship with other believers. He says, my feet had almost slipped until I entered the sanctuary of the Most High. In other words, he goes to worship with other people and there's something about that corporate worship that does something in his heart. And in this case, he's like, it's not working for me. This isn't working. I am stuck. I'm still crying out to God, but I'm not getting what I need from there. And so he refuses comfort until he gets God to respond to his complaint. Now he's telling us he's in this despite the fact he can't get any respite. I'm, I'm, God, I'm, I'm in this. I'm still here. Where are you? Verse 3, I think of God. I groan. I meditate. My spirit becomes weak. Selah. Asaph groans because every time he thinks of God, he's reminded that God doesn't seem to want to answer his complaint. Now, in, in the Bible, that word meditate is not, uh, it's not Eastern meditation, where Eastern meditation is the goal is to clear your mind and to come to a place where you're not uh, wrestling with one particular thought, but you have a sense of freedom from worry, right? Uh, in biblical meditation, it's actually opposite of that. It's focusing intently on God's word, and uh, the word that would be closest to it would be to masticate, meaning to chew on. And so it's like I'm thinking about this part of God's character or nature. I'm thinking about this part of Scripture, and I'm chewing on it. I'm wrestling on it. I won't let it go. I'm not going to be distracted by other things. And so this whole ordeal is a struggle for him, so much so that it's taken up all of his wrestling and it's left him exhausted. Now, again, I don't want us to miss this. It's easy to forget that the Psalms, an individual psalm is a psalm, and then the book of collection is psalms. Right, uh, I have some pastor friends who freak out if you call an individual psalm Psalms seventy-seven. Like it's a psalm. Yeah, relax. But either way, the the song or the psalm uh, has in there these words selah. Now we don't know exactly what it means, but most scholars mean that in the song there is a place of rest or pause, so that we can process or settle into what it is that was just said, and let it get into the depths of our hearts and our minds. Now, Asaph writes and sets the tone for how serious this is. He wants us to see this desperation he's coming to God with and that he won't be satisfied until his cry for help is responded to. And then he makes a stop right there 
and not gloss over what he's thinking and feeling. He intentionally puts a rest right in the middle of the problem. For those taking notes, this brings us to our second observation for the day. That complaining is a step in the path to praise. Complaining is a step in the path to praise. When Asaph picks back, picks his song back up, we see him bring his list of complaints to God. Let's take a look, starting in verse 4 and going through verse 10. It says this. You have kept my eyes from closing. This is an accusation. You've kept, you, you're the one keeping me up. I'm troubled and I can't speak. I consider the days of old, years long past. At night, I remember my music. I meditate in my heart and my spirit wonders. So he says, hey, look, I tried to go back and look at some of those things, but, but this just caused more questions for me. Lord, will you reject forever and never again show favor? Has your faithful love ceased? Is, are your promises at an end? Are you not going to do what you said you're going to do? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? And so he leaves that selah right there, and then he says, so I say I'm grieved at the right hand of the Most High has changed. I love verse 4. He's essentially saying, God, this is all on you. This is your fault. This is all on you. Asaph let us, lets us know that he's so overwhelmed that sleep has eluded him. Tears have run dry. He's come to a point where he doesn't even know what else to say. He's run out of words. He's run out of energy and his ability to keep petitioning God. In verses 5 to 9, Asaph says, I've worked to remember the ways that God has been faithful in the past, but it's only making me wonder. It's only making me question God more. It's not helping. He drops these huge questions, writes his Selah, and then sits in it. But then after the silence, Asaph drops the biggest line of the whole song. In a straight accusation, he tells God, you've changed. You've changed. You are no longer who you say you are. Verse 10. So I say, I'm grieved that the right hand of the Most High has changed. And the God of all the universe, the God who spoke all creation known and unknown into existence by his mere words, rained down sulfur and we never hear from Asaph again. No, he doesn't. But isn't that incredible? I mean, he's literally accusing God of being a liar. He's accusing God of being unfaithful. He's accusing God of not being consistent. He's accusing God of all kinds of things. And Asaph is somehow able to be himself, anger, accusation, and all, without God smiting him as he deserves. What an incredible God we serve. For those taking notes, this brings us to our third observation for the day. Asking is a step in the path to praise. Asking is a step in the path to praise. Now, if you go back and look at the psalm, you don't see any specific asks. Why? Because it's actually implied, especially as expressed in verses 1 to 4. God, do something. Act here. Where are you in the midst of this? Show up. That is the big ask. God, bring this to resolution. Do what you have always done. Be who you have you. Be who you have always been, verse 10. And bring about the rescue and the restoration of the people of Israel. That's what Asaph is asking for in the midst of his accusation and his pain and his suffering. But asking is an important step because even though God knows what we need, he still asks us to ask for it. There's something that happens as the God who pursues us asks us to pursue him. 
We know that he knows what we want because he says it in Matthew 6, 8. Jesus says, don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. And so he wants us still to express the things that we need and feel and want even though he knows them all. And I personally think this is less about the act of speaking as it is more about ensuring that we have ourselves oriented in the right direction to the heart of God, that our hearts are in the right place as we stop and speak to him directly and articulate our needs, wants, and desires. There is a story in um, the Old Testament about a prophet who um, God tells him, you're going to say there's not going to be any rain. And then when you say the word again, then there will be rain. And it goes three years without any rain. And, uh, and this prophet then goes up to Mount Carmel and God says, it's time. Go ahead and say there's not going to be any rain. And so it says that he, he prays and he sends a servant to look out and there's no rain coming. Now, I find this interesting. In the end of the story, he ends up praying seven times and then he sees a storm cloud coming and he's got to run ahead of it because then the rain comes. But here's the fascinating thing. God already told him that when he says there's going to be rain, it will be rain. Why does God make him ask seven times? He wasn't the one that came up with the idea. It was God's idea. When God tells this guy Naaman from an enemy country of Israel that he's going to be cleaned from his leprosy, but what he has to do is he has to dip himself in the river seven different times. God is the one that came up with the whole story. Why didn't God say just dip once and you'd be good? There's something about pursuing back a pursuant God that God wants us to continually be obedient. There's something about the way that he wants us to engage with him that shows not just we tried it, God, we're not there, but he wants our hearts consistently. There is a, this is the reason we say this is a path. It's a journey. And as we walk the journey, God does something in us through walking that path. Which brings us to our fourth and final observation for today. Remembering is a step in the path to trust. And trust is a step on the path to restoration. Now, Asaph does something really interesting in this psalm. He leaves it unresolved. Remember, this is a song that they're singing in the temple. Like, this would be Sunday morning, right here, right? Singing a song. What if we sang a song that was like, God, everything sucks. Where are you? The end? Now, we have the beauty of the resolution in that we know Jesus came and died and rose again, that he conquered sin and death. And so it's hard to sit in these moments because we know the hope we have. They had not seen this yet. They had not seen the ultimate resolution for our problems. They had not seen the the promise fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. This was still, the, the, the hope for the salvation of Israel permanently was still so far off, it felt like it could never happen. We are looking back through history with the answers. But in their case, they, they have much less to hang on to when they're going, God, where are you? And so the song ends without us knowing the ending, and I think, personally, that's one of the most helpful parts of Psalm 77. 
Let me once again remind you of the difference between trust and faith. The difference is that trust is when God says this will happen and we believe he will accomplish what he says he's going to accomplish, do what he said he's going to do. And we go, God, I, I don't see how I could possibly get there, but I see where you're taking me. And so I believe that you will get me there. I will, exp- I will go through whatever I have to go through to get there. That is not faith. Faith is when God does not give us an outcome, but he says, walk anyway, and I'll show you. Abraham, enter the promised land. Go where I'm going to tell you. Where is it? You won't know. Just keep walking. But am I going to be safe? You won't know. Just keep walking. God, you want me to move to where? Los Angeles? (laughs) How am I going to make it? What am I going to do? That's okay. Just keep walking. You want me to do what with my life? That's okay. Just keep walking. Trust that who I am is who I am, and that I am good, and I have your best interest in mind, and we obey. But both trust and faith are crucial parts of the process of lament. Sometimes, though, it can be difficult to get to that place. I mean, take a look at today's psalm. Asaph just called God a liar and suggested that he's untrustworthy. How does he get from that place to a place of trust and faith? He uses remembering as a tool to help him get back to that place of trust and faith. Now, what does this have to do with praise? Because we've been mentioning praise over and over and over again. Praise is the active form of remembering. Praise is the active form of remembering. It's celebrating something you deem important. Which brings us back to the question we asked in the very beginning. In our Minute to Mingle question, we asked... What is your favorite holiday of the year and why? What do you guys have? Christmas. Christmas. I, I know that's Justin Haig's answer. It's always going to be Christmas. He, starts, he thinks Christmas starts in October. Is interrupted slightly for uh, Halloween and a day for Thanksgiving, but then goes back to Christmas again. Who else? Somebody had something other than Christmas? New Year's. New Year's. All right. Why? Why New Year's? Okay, New Year's is like the, there's just nothing going on, but this is good. All right, what else? Thanksgiving. Why? Why Thanksgiving? Makes you stop and think. Yep, be grateful. What else? No one likes any other holidays. Easter, why Easter? Yeah, yeah. These are all church answers. <laughs> At least Caleb was like, I don't know, it's a break in the partying. I could use a, a respite. No, but I mean like oftentimes when people talk about Thanksgiving, what's the number one thing you think about in Thanksgiving? Food and football. The three Fs. There's always three Fs in Thanksgiving. Family, right? And it's, it's oftentimes there are a lot of people that do not like Thanksgiving for that exact same reason. Right? Like, oh, man, that's the day I got to go be with my family. (laughs) This is crazy. I just got to make it through today. I'm just, oh. Right? But there's many of us who are like, this is the day that everything kind of stops and family I don't even get to see come together. For some people, that's 4th of July. Um, When I was riding with the motorcycle club, one of the things that we did was every year we took a family camping trip uh, on the 4th of July weekend. And so uh, we would go on this long ride and all of our families, kids, everybody would meet us at a campsite that we would get to that night. So we'd go, we'd ride all day. 
you know, and, uh, and we'd get down there, but then we'd spend the whole weekend together. It was one of the things I look forward to most because it was just this super fun time of really long rides. We would go out again a couple times that weekend, but, but the families were all there, and it was just a really fun time, um, you know, that just made, it just made Fourth of July different. It was a just different experience. Thanksgiving was always fun. There was always, when I was a kid, it was always neighborhood games. It changed when I entered the military and we were gone all Thanksgiving. And then when I was a police officer, I always worked Thanksgiving. So I missed so many of those holidays. So for me, there is a nostalgia that's not necessarily true about Thanksgiving. Does that make sense? But what I long for is those moments where everybody's together. Because to me, that's what holidays are about. It's that sense of special community. Whoever that community is, whether it's your friends or your family. And so I celebrate those moments because those are really special to me. Especially the older I get, the more I value time with family because it's so fleeting. So most of us either value what a day stands for or we appreciate the feelings and memories from our past that that holiday evokes. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, there's something to it. There's a vibe or a mood that comes from simply celebrating a day. But what makes that day special? Nothing. We've just all agreed that's a day we're going to celebrate. Right? Like there's no significance to that day usually. God knew the people of Israel would struggle with their ability to believe and to have trust and faith. And so God does this really cool thing. He says, I want you to have parties. We have a cool God, people. And he's like, I want you to have parties, and the reason you're going to have these parties is so you don't forget what I've done. So he throws these feasts, the people throw these feasts, because God says your job is to just relax and remember. One of the last times uh, I was in Israel, we entered the Jewish quarter of the old city, and I ran smack dab into what looked like Halloween in February. And I was like, what is happening There's all these kids dressed up in like these crazy, like kind of monster looking masks. And then all these other kids dressed up like little sweet kids. And you're like, okay, they're definitely in costume. Um, But what we came across was Purim. Purim is a celebration of the salvation of Israel from the annihilation at the hands of Haman before God used Queen Esther to bring about their miraculous rescue. That story, not surprisingly, is found in the book of Esther in your Old Testament. But they still celebrate today that God rescued his people through Queen Esther, and they celebrate it by dressing up as either little Hamans or as little Esthers, and then they give each other candy. It's just like our Halloween, except, like I said, in February. So, um, but they do that to remember. It's constantly before them. A lot of time has passed since the days of Queen Esther. And yet God continually has, he was right. They remember, they remember what God did. In my family, we uh, keep what we call a miracle journal. And it's just stories that we go, this is almost too good to believe. This is a miracle that happened to us. And it's amazing that even though God has miraculously intervened in the life of my family, whether it was how I knew I was to marry Monique or food showing up in our refrigerator when we desperately needed it or my son Chance surviving when they said he wouldn't, or my wife being healed from lupus. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. But like the people of Israel, even though God has come through for us time and time and time again, we forget. We forget. 
We struggle to have faith that God will take care of us. We get to places where instead of trust and faith, we live in fear and worry and anxiety, and we doubt that God, not that he can come through, but that he will come through. And so the act of remembering, the act of opening the journal and remembering what God has done for our family in particular brings us back to a place where we're confronted with who God is, what he's done, and who that makes us. It brings us back to the nature, the character, the faithfulness, the favor, love, grace, and compassion that God has shown us. It reminds us that those who apprentice Jesus have been adopted into the family of God and are now the beloved daughters and sons of the living king. That we are who we are because of who he is and what he has done. But you might say, I I haven't seen those kind of miracles in my life yet. First, just because you haven't seen those miracles doesn't mean that God hasn't done them. Second, the beauty of remembrance is that we are not limited to God's actions in our lives alone. We get to look at how he's operated in the people around us, our friends, our family, our church, his people. And this is exactly what Asaph does. He feels his trust has been violated. He is angry. He's confused. And so he turns to remembrance as a tool to regain his trust and faith. Verse 11, I will remember the Lord's works. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. God, your way is holy. What God is great like God. You are the God who works wonders. You revealed your strength among the peoples. With power, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. The water saw you, God. The water saw you. It trembled. Even the depths shook. The clouds poured down water. The storm clouds thundered. Your arrows flashed back and forth. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind, lighting up the world. The earth shook and quaked. Your way went through the sea. Your path through the vast water. But your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hands of Moses and Aaron. Verses 16 to 20 recall one of the greatest miracles that God did for the people of Israel. And it's when Israel was at its most desperate point. Trapped between the vengeful army of Pharaoh, it appeared, and the Red Sea, it appeared as if God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt only to allow them to be slaughtered there in the middle of no man's land. But God parts the Red Sea the people walk across on dry land and then God defeats Pharaoh by wiping out all those who pursued Israel into the sea. There's something else I want us to notice about this. We see Asaph's heart change right here in the middle of the song. Joshua Dedeke in our sermon time this year pointed out in verse 12 that verse 12 is the last time you see Asaph use the word I. It's no longer used after verse 12. It's simply about God. The whole focus of the psalm has changed from what Asaph has been wrestling with to the greatness and goodness and faithfulness of God. He celebrates or praises what he knows God has done as a way to get to that place of remembrance. Now, again, none of this has been resolved. But Asaph's heart is on the path to renewal and restoration, even as he waits renewal and restoration for the people of Israel from the injustice that they're facing. I know it sounds cliche, but when we're facing things that need to be fixed in our lives, when we're facing these big things around us that need to be fixed, the answer is not to try and fix ourselves. And oftentimes we can try and engage something and we just feel like we're one small person. We can't fix a problem this big. But the answer is never to try and fix ourselves. The answer is to spend time with and walk in the path of lament with Jesus. Are you struggling in relationships? 
Spend more time with Jesus. I know it sounds cliche, but ultimately it's the only thing that truly changes our heart. Struggling because you keep making the same mistakes? Walk the path of lament. Spend time with Jesus. Can't stop looking at porn? Don't try to be better. Spend time with Jesus. You go, oh, it doesn't work. Well, not in the moment, but don't get there. Spend time with Jesus. Don't try to be better. Spend more honest time with Jesus. Walking the path to lament doesn't bring everything to beautiful, perfect resolution. But walking the path to lament, like in Psalm 77, brings our hearts to a place of hope, trust, relationship, and a healthier relationship with Jesus and others. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you've given us the tools in the midst of things that are just difficult and wrong to not only be able to find ways to find peace and hope and praise and trust, but also, God, to be able to approach you in a real manner, to be honest with who we are and how we feel. God, you created us with feelings, and so you're not afraid of them. And so I thank you that we can come to you. I also know that it's difficult for us to turn to you when things just seem bleak or hard or as if you're the one that's hand is on us. And so I ask, help us, Lord. Help us. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to turn to you, to orient our hearts to you, to walk the path of lament, to have a healthy relationship with you and others, Lord. We need you. We cannot do this on our own. We thank you that you have promised that you will never leave us or forsake us. In the name of Jesus.